My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel, I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to talk about a phenomenon that I have noticed a lot lately, and mostly in connection with the Rings of Power series, uh, but it happens more than just in that context. The, the reason this came up to, to my attention most recently is because of some of the leaked scenes that came out about Rings of Power, which... I say recently, by the time this video is published, they will not have been that recent. We might have actually seen them in the show itself by the time this video is published. But I'm recording this like mid-August, shortly after some of the scenes were released. And one of them in particular is Galadriel attacking a troll after being launched into the air by another elf lifting his sword. And to my mind, this scene is just stupid looking. Uh, it, it's not all that well shot to begin with, but even aside from that, it's completely unrealistic for physics reasons. It just doesn't make any sense that you would ever try to launch a person with a sword like that, with no fulcrum, no nothing to make it into a lever. Just It, it doesn't make any sense. And my criticism of this scene has been met mostly with claims like, well, but there's flying ships, and there's people turning into seagulls, and there or not seagulls, seabirds, and all this other stuff, and you think, this is bad? It's like, well, but that's really kind of not the same thing, people. And what this comes down to is people seem to think that in fantasy, literally anything goes. And so I want to address this topic, and like I said, this goes well beyond Rings of Power. This goes to all kinds of things. People will say things like, why do you want to analyze Lord of the Rings when it's a fantasy story? None of it's real. It's like, well, but it's still supposed to be internally consistent. There's still supposed to be some of that. So I want to examine why this is important from a storytelling perspective and how it impacts our ability to enjoy more or less a given story. Before I get into that, I did want to make sure to remind everybody I have a Discord server open now. You can find the link in the description below. Join a bunch of other people there talking about Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, all kinds of other Tolkien-related stuff. You can also catch my videos now on Utreon, which is a new video platform which is competing both with YouTube and with Patreon because they offer a better subscription-slash-membership-type service than either YouTube or Patreon. So if you want to support me there instead of Patreon... Happy to do it that way, too. The only downside is their lowest tier can't go down lower than $2.99 a month, so I can't bring it down to the $1 that I have on Patreon. So, that being said, though, it's a really nice platform if you want to just support me. Support me there, you get benefits across all of it, just as you always would. So, that being said, let's take a look now at why this issue of internal consistency is important. And this is something that Tolkien himself has talked about. In his On Fairy Stories essay, which was originally a talk given, he talks about the need for fantasy to be internally consistent so that the suspension of disbelief can be done, basically. And he actually makes a distinction here between secondary belief and the suspension of disbelief. Suspension of disbelief for Tolkien is when, despite the story not being believable, we still kind of actively engage with it as if it were. Whereas secondary belief for Tolkien is when the story is written in such a way that what happens within it is true. And it's true in the sense that the 
the rules of the world that's been created are consistent and everything follows the rules. And so for Tolkien, this idea is that it's not that we suspend our disbelief to read a fantasy story about dragons. It's simply that within the story of that we're reading or watching or whatever it is, that is not unbelievable. And therefore, we don't have to suspend our disbelief. So Tolkien actually had kind of an interesting way of looking at this. It's not even suspension of disbelief. But what we have in a lot of fantasy is stuff that is, and not even just fantasy, I mean, you can watch almost any action movie made almost ever and find things that are just not really credible. Uh, some of the things that happen in action movies are kind of deliberately over the top to seem impressive, but are also, for that reason, not realistic. And for Tolkien, this kind of thing takes you out of the experience. You no longer experience the story as just being true on its own terms, you experience it as either just not believable or you have to actively suppress your critical thinking in order to enjoy it to the extent that you're really supposed to. For Tolkien, the ideal is when you can just write the story or tell the story in such a way that when everything is looked at, you don't see any problems and therefore the enjoyment comes from the combination of the story being enjoyable, but also you being able to invest it with what he calls secondary belief and not have to actively suppress that critical thinking. Now, I'm not saying here that we need to completely shut off our critical thinking about everything or that critiquing even minor things is always a negative. I mean, some things you ought to be able to criticize, but some criticisms are minor or even nitpicky, right? So in some scenes you might have something that you would nitpick, but especially when it comes to movies or, or any kind of film adaptation, some of that is going to be limited by the fact that you're trying to get people to do things physically in space that they might trip, mess up, miss their mark, and you can't do infinite takes. So there's some limitation to this anyway, that you shouldn't criticize every little thing just because it's not 100% right. And I've made this point before about the Rings of Power, too. It's like, if we were going to do this completely accurately, uh, technically speaking, Aragorn shouldn't have a beard. Alindil should be almost eight feet tall. And there's all kinds of things that you could nitpick, but it's like, okay, where are we going to find an eight-foot-tall actor to play Alindil? I mean, it's just not going to happen. So the idea that you nitpick everything is bad, but there is a point where I think you have to step in and say, come on, that really was a bad decision. And the Galadriel being launched on the sword scene to me is one of those because you didn't have to make it look completely unrealistic to make it look cool. The guy could have done something similar, but launched her with a something that's not a sword, because frankly, if you put that much weight on a sword, it's probably going to snap. And B, Use a fulcrum. Use something to make it leverage, because as is, the amount of torque Galadriel's going to be putting on that sword with her full weight plus a full suit of armor is going to overcome any amount of force that any even the strongest person on Earth could generate with just shoulders lifting that sword up. 
So it's completely unrealistic, but could have been done in a way that would have been much more realistic and believable and still been, you know, just accomplished the same basic thing. Now, why is this important from a storytelling perspective? Let's take a little bit more of a detailed look here. First of all, if you can break the rules willy-nilly and just make up things as you go, there aren't any real stakes in the story. Now, people will often come back and say, but they already break the rules because you have flying ships and you have people turning into seabirds. It's like, but you don't understand. Within the story, that's within the rules. But the rules of the story, as Tolkien wrote it, this is basically our Earth, which means it has our gravity and it has our biological systems. This is, you know, I mean, this is not some radically different plane. It's not like John Carter of Mars where he can jump, you know, many, 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 many yards because the gravity is lower. It's still got the same gravity. You still have to have the same amount of strength to move things in Middle Earth because it's our Earth. Now question about whether it's flat or round. Tolkien kind of morphed his decision about that over time, and it's not really clear which direction Rings of Power is going to go with that, but that aside, the point being, you have to have some kind of rules in place. If there are no rules in place, there's no stakes. If we can't identify the limits of the heroes, then they have no limits, and therefore they can do anything, and therefore there really isn't an obstacle that we have to worry about them overcoming. A really good example of how this is done badly is in the Hobbit movies. Especially the first Hobbit movie where the dwarves and Bilbo are escaping from... Well, it's really just the dwarves because Bilbo is already separated. But they are escaping from Goblin Town with Gandalf. And they're just running through the whole mountainside. You know, wherever they are in the in, inside of the mountain. And just taking out orcs left and right willy-nilly. Just as if they're not even a problem. And yet somehow they got captured at the very beginning. Not really clear how that happened. But I mean, they're just completely slaughtering all these goblins in Goblin Town. And it's just, when you see it on screen, it might be amusing because it's kind of funny. But there's no tension in the scene at all because you're just like, oh, well, they could just completely cream all the goblins in Goblin Town. Why are they even running? Just turn around and just keep doing it. Take out all the goblins in the Misty Mountains, why don't you? So that's... That's point number one. If you take away the limitations on what the heroes can do, suddenly you have no stakes. There's no threat to the heroes. You don't have anything where you're worried about their success rate, their existence even. Why would they die when they can do whatever they want to do to make sure that they succeed? So that's point number one. Point number two is, the flip side is, if the good guys can do pretty much anything, then Surely the bad guys can do pretty much anything, too. Why should only the elves be able to exert way more force than ought, they ought to be able to exert against that much torque? I mean, surely the troll can do that, too, in which case the troll... And and by the way, the another reason the scene is kind of stupid is the troll could literally just whap Galadriel out of the sky and not have to worry about her, but... Leaving that aside, maybe the troll is distracted or who knows what. It's not clear in the little clip that we get. But anyway, if the bad guys can also do anything, then now we have no real way of even determining like who's going to win a fight. In a typical situation, the ideal is you have something like an even fight or the good guy is the underdog. Because usually the point is 
evil is hard to defeat, and therefore there's a lot of stakes, but there's also a lot of chance of failure, and it's the success against the odds that makes things, you know, really interesting. Like, think of the Rocky movies. Rocky has no chance of beating Apollo Creed in that first movie. He's just not skilled enough. Apollo Creed is the world champion, and he's taking on this no-name guy in Philadelphia, and, you know, Rocky trains and trains and trains, and for him, the victory is just making it to the 15th round and not being knocked out. That is his victory. He beat the odds, not by winning, but just by making it that far. But as a more general rule, you want the good guys to straight up win. In Apollo and Rocky's case, there's no good guy or bad guy. It's just one guy trying to do as best he can. But in a story of good against evil, where the fate of the world is at stake, the good guys have to win for the story to be a you know anything like a true fairy story as Tolkien would describe it. And if the good guys have to win, but the bad guys can do anything and the good guys can do anything, where where's the stakes? Where's the you have no way of measuring who has an upper hand, who is you have to basically invent tension out of nowhere to make these kinds of fights work. A good contrast for this would be something like Mission Impossible. Now, some of the Mission Impossible stuff is completely unrealistic, too. But there is the scene in the first Mission Impossible where they're breaking into, I forget if it's the CIA headquarters, wherever it is, but they have to lower Ethan Hunt down and he's like trying to balance and not fall and hit the floor because if he just puts a tiny bit of pressure on the floor while that room is locked down, it's going to set off the alarms. So... The idea that, you know, that, that the tension is there comes from we know what has to be overcome. If you don't know what has to be overcome, because there are apparently no rules, you're just sitting there watching and they have to invent some kind of stakes like, you know, the bad guy has to just be doing better even though there's no particular reason to think that they are better than the good guys. A third major reason why this doesn't work is the idea of inconsistencies, which I've already kind of touched on. And the point here is that if you have some kind of rules in place, as any story must, and then you start breaking the rules in any kind of way, now you just have the problem of inconsistency. And some inconsistencies are easier to overlook than others, but the point is anybody who has any kind of critical thinking faculty turned on in their brain who witnesses an inconsistency is going to have their experience lessened by it. Now, if you're the kind of person that you can literally completely turn off your critical thinking faculty when you're watching a movie or reading a story, okay, good for you. Some of us can't do that so easily, and I don't think we should be asked to do so either. Once you start creating inconsistencies, the world no longer has rules. The whole idea of the law of non-contradiction is that if the law of non-contradiction doesn't hold in at least one instance, it doesn't hold at all. It's either a hard and fast rule or it's not. So once you start doing things that violate that, suddenly the, the whole thing collapses. If you can have contradictory things in the same story, then there's just no place left to invest any kind of real belief, secondary belief. You can suspend your disbelief, as Tolkien would say, but there is no secondary belief. A really good example here is Star Wars. And I'm sorry if I am stomping on any Star Wars fans, but 
one of the things that the sequel trilogy especially did was do things with the Force that just do not seem to fit with anything else that came before. Uh, and it made me realize that the Force was always actually a major problem with the story as a whole. But you would see things happen in the sequel trilogy, like I forget exactly what this, the context is, but either Rey or Kylo Ren is using the Force to pull down like a, a shuttle that's trying to fly away from whatever planet they're on. And we never saw this before, and there's a good reason we never saw this before, because if you can just manipulate a an object like that, then you can manipulate pretty much any object. And what I realized in thinking about it was, when Yoda says, no, no different, only different in your mind, you must unlearn what you have learned, to Luke Skywalker, who can't lift the... X-Wing out of the swamp, what Yoda has done is told us that you can do pretty much literally anything with the Force because the difference between a pebble and the biggest star in the universe is nothing as far as the Force is concerned. Similarly, Darth Vader tells what's-his-name in the very early stages that the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. He was more right than he knew. Because based on what he said, and based on what Yoda tells us, we actually have the problem of, you could literally just use the Force to Force Crush the Death Star. You don't have to do like a suicide mission to try to blow it up from the inside. Once you introduce that contradiction, that the Force can do anything, and yet we don't actually ever see people using it in the way that theoretically it could be used, we have a problem. And it's really hard to go back and watch the original trilogy taking the sequel trilogy and thinking that you can actually make it all work because you can't anymore. Once the force is that powerful, it renders the entire story silly, really. Now that's a grand scale version of this, but small scale stuff ruins the experience too. Whenever you have things going on that just are not consistent, it's hard to overlook it if it's kind of obvious. And once that happens, it just takes away from being able to really just enjoy the story on its own terms. You want the story to be consistent with itself because then you don't have to turn off your critical thinking faculty. In fact, the best kinds of stories get you to engage critically with them in ways that you can't do if the story itself is just totally inconsistent already. So the point being Magical things like dragons, fairies, elves, the Valar, all this stuff, they do not create an excuse to do just whatever the heck you want in an adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. And yes, this goes for Legolas in the original movie trilogy by Peter Jackson, too. Some of the stuff he does in there is kind of crazy, and the stuff he does in The Hobbit is even crazier. I've complained about all these things in the past, not necessarily on this channel, But it's not like I'm only talking about the Rings of Power. I will criticize all of it. But the point is, the internal consistency is what matters. If you can get what Tolkien described as a secondary world with a secondary belief that is based on the internal consistency where the things that happen in the story are true within that story, that is the pinnacle of fantasy or fairy story telling. That is the point of what is 
you're really trying to do there. Being lazy and just trying to do things to look cool without considering how realistic or unrealistic or inconsistent they are with other elements of the story, that just does not work. So for anybody out there who's trying to argue that, well, why are you so upset about this? It's a fantasy story. Or why do you care about analyzing plot holes? It's a fantasy story. Or why do you care about this being unrealistic? It's a fantasy story. This is why. A good story should not be immune from this type of criticism just because it's a fantasy story. Fantasy just gives us a different rule set to play with. Whatever the rule set that allows dragons to exist does not mean suddenly that gravity, torque, force, and all those things go out the window. It means we may have to play around with how we think that aerodynamics of giant winged reptiles work, but it doesn't mean that the laws of physics just have to be completely abandoned. So, those are my thoughts on this idea that fantasy just renders moot any kind of realism or anything like that. And if you encounter this kind of person a lot in your own conversations about fantasy, if you have one of those persons in your life who just is a hard-nosed realist who doesn't even like fantasy because it's unrealistic, you know, share this video with them, and this will help hopefully explain why that is a completely invalid criticism. So, it won't obviously convince anybody who just doesn't like fantasy, because that's just, you know, some people just don't like fantasy, and that's fine. But for people who don't like it because it violates the rules of, you know, physics or nature or whatever it is, eh, that's not exactly fair. So, if you enjoyed this video, found it useful, please do give it a like, share it around. You can follow me on Rumble, Odyssey, Utreon, as well as YouTube, of course. Subscribe to make sure you catch all my future content. Don't forget to join that Discord server. Support me at Patreon or Utreon if you're inclined to do so. Got lots of good benefits there. And you can follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. Thanks to all supporters of the channel, especially Elf Friends PA Brew News, Tracy Meehan, Nathan Dufour, and Paul Leone.